back on air. Hello and welcome to another instalment of Once Upon a Time in the Ashes. The race through the decades continues as we tell the stories of those English and Australian cricketers who played in only one Ashes test. We've breezed through the 1993 series, Steve Watkin, our guide, as a one-sided series culminated in that rare thing during the 90s, an England win. And in no small part thanks to a Welshman ripping through the Aussie top three in the second innings. That episode with Glamorgan's Finest is available wherever you get your podcasts. But England couldn't carry the momentum into the next series in Australia in 1994-95. Australia won the first two tests convincingly and after a drawn game in Sydney, they were two up with two to play. Ashes retained, but series still in the balance. Following on from that ball against Mike Gatting at Old Trafford, Shane Warne was once again to the fore in those first two tests. 11 wickets at the Gabba, another nine at the MCG, including his one and only test hat-trick. And if things weren't bad enough for England, Australia were about to call up another leg spinner for the fourth test at the Adelaide Oval. That man was Peter McIntyre, and his time in the Ashes spotlight is now. Peter McIntyre was a leg spin bowler for Victoria, South Australia and Australia. He took 322 first-class wickets, taking five wickets in an innings on 12 occasions. And he played two tests for Australia, including his one and only Ashes test in the fourth game of the 1994-95 series at the Adelaide Oval. Peter, welcome to Once Upon a Time in the Ashes. Thanks for having me, Graham. Yeah, it's really good to speak to you. And look, I'm sure his name will pop up throughout our conversation, but I just wonder if we could start with Shane Warne. Mm. You know, you were both leg spinners, rivals of Victoria, teammates for Australia, and you won an only Ashes test. How shocked were you to hear of his death? Oh, look, I, I think it it certainly shocked many, many people, and it did shock me. I, I remember heading to the uh, Creed Academy in Adelaide with him at the same time, and I, I actually went and lived with Terry Jenner during that time and a three-month stint and Warney was uh, living in a hotel in Glenelg, I think, and Rod Marsh was our, our head coach. You sort of start thinking about your mortality when you're the only survivor out of those four. They're all gone. They're all gone with heart attacks. So um, very important to get checked up and make sure you're in good health. So, But uh, I had a long, long association with Warney and I guess when I look at it, it's you know 13 years of competing with him and he was my blonde problem, as I tell people. He was just a, I think he was a freak of nature, really. He not only had a great technique of leg spin bowling, but his strategic cricket brain was uh, one of the best ever seen, I think, as well. Definitely, yeah. It's always more shocking when you think that person's in good health. He did say that, like, for 30 years, he hadn't stayed in the same city for more than two weeks for 30 years. Imagine the stress on the body of that. Put that with diet. Put that with drinking vodka Red Bulls, smoking. All of that, it's a combination for unhealthiness isn't it and when the lockdowns came for during COVID yeah it was probably a blessing for him because he spent some time with his three kids and and friends all right well well yeah thanks for your memories there let's bring the focus back to you so obviously Warney was a, a giant of Ashes cricket what are your first memories of Ashes cricket when you were growing up oh it was always the the Lily Thompsons I think Tony Gregg that sort of era what I was born in 66 World Series came along in 77, wasn't it, I think? 
and then sort of we went through that era. I still remember Derek Underwood uh, ploughing away with his left armers. Didn't know whether he was a spinner or a medium pacer. You know, so you know, John Lever. Well, tell us where you grew up. You grew up in Victoria, but whereabouts in Victoria and how did you get into your cricket? Yeah, look, I was, I was brought up on a uh, large farm only an hour out of Melbourne and I uh, had uh, two brothers and a sister and a father as a farmer. He was a, a farmer on uh, towards Romsey where Dean Jones later moved to. Another one we've lost actually. And uh, oh, God, yeah. Yeah, he moved out there and we had a long friendship with Dino. And yeah, uh, I was lucky enough to play for the, with my two brothers and father in the one team for Romsey and uh, the age of 16 after playing in some, I think, country cups, they called it back there, International Harvester Cups, got invited down to the Essendon Cricket Club at 16 years of age. And I think I started in the uh, fourth there. There were 13 spinners and I was the 13th, I think. So it was uh, work your way through. Yeah, but you soon worked your way up that pecking order, no doubt. Yeah, and so I guess most people associate you with South Australia, don't they? Because you played most of your cricket for them, but you're First class debut obviously came for Victoria. So how did you progress from Essendon to Victoria? How did that kind of work out? Yeah, look, as I said, got to Essendon at 16. Uh, stayed there till I was 26 before moving to Adelaide. So I had a 10-year career at Essendon. Yeah. I basically got to the got to the seconds, I think, of, uh, I might have been um, 19, 18, 90 years of age. The leg spinner in the first was uh, dating the uh, chairman of selectors' daughter, <laughs> so I knew I was up against it. Uh, <laughs> so after doing pretty well in the twos, I had a, a call from Collingwood, actually, that wanted me to move across to Collingwood, and I decided that uh, I wanted to take the, the route of actually making the effort to earn my position in the first. And I, I, I got to do that. And my first wicket for Essendon was Julian Wiener with a wrongen. I remember that clearly, ex-Australian player. I very quickly moved into the Victorian team after that. It was, I guess, it was an era where leg spinners weren't in vogue. It had disappeared again. And I think it's about to happen again. It's in the T20 arena at the moment. But when you look through the teams and their test sides and that, you're not seeing a lot of leg spin. And we seem to have these these eras of Abdul Qadir, for example, cuts a wave through international cricket, and then it disappears for a number of years. And I remember having sessions with Richie Benno and Jim Higgs, and they're just so keen to get leg spin back in vogue. And and it was a time where I suppose I'd sort of come in the scene of Victoria. There wasn't many around. Then Warney came out sort of two years after me. It sort of build, started building again and we started replacing each other. I suppose. I ended up playing 27 games, Victoria. We um, also had another guy called Paul Jackson who was a left-arm orthodox. Yeah, and then basically once I got to Adelaide and lived with Terry Jenner, he became coach of T3 Gully. He said, right, you're coming over here. You're playing for me. We'll get you playing for uh, South Australia and I'll, I'll, I'll get you a baggy green, he reckoned. So I thought that was pretty appealing and... I moved over and I had a 10-year stint with Tea Tree Gully. Yeah, awesome. All right, just yeah, just pick up on a couple of points you made there. Do you remember your first-class debut? I believe that was against WA, is that right, in 89? It was. It was. Yeah, that tough one. They, I think the, there was Mike Valletta and Tom Moody, pretty strong team, Jeff Marsh. You probably know more of my stats in that game, but I, I think I picked up a couple of wickets. Probably went for plenty of runs. So Well, it was a brutal first-class debut. Obviously, a good batting track, and they, they scored a lot of runs, and so did you guys. So, that I mean, that must be incredible. Like, you know, not used to playing four days, and then suddenly you bowled 40 overs in that match. You took two for 109. Um, 
don't know if you remember your first wicket. Jeff Marsh, I think, was your first wicket. So what was that like, just bowling all those overs, though, for one? Oh, look, I guess I was also in an, an AFL development squad right. as well for, for football and get myself pretty fit, and I enjoyed the fitness side of things. So, I mean, just strolling in and bowling some leggies, uh, it's usually not your fitness, it's your shoulder and fingers that suffer. But Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, of course it was tough. It was not having played much four-day cricket because you didn't play much second eleven cricket back then like they do now. You'd sort of got, gone from club cricket and you'd play sort of second eleven state cricket, which was only a, a couple of days, and all of a sudden you're thrust into the, the four-day arena with all these test players, Australian players that often played your cricket back then. So, And you mentioned Terry Jenner. So we'll, we'll come back to him in a minute because I'm sure he taught you a lot when you when you were living with him. What about yourself and Shane Warren? Just wondering about in the nets and things like that. Were you both kind of trying out different deliveries against each other and all the rest of it? Oh, yeah. I think I, I think I wrote a piece on Twitter about how it's amazing when you compete with a guy for 13 years, but it's healthy competition. We made each other better in those early days. We went off and toured into Zimbabwe. We discovered the flipper. You know, the flipper wasn't talked about at all. So how does that come about? You know, what do you mean you discover the flipper? How does that work? Oh, I think uh, I can't exactly remember the time, but we're in the Victorian nets and I think we'd had someone come there. Might have been George Tribe or something. He talked about the the flipper. I think George Tribe played a lot of county cricket and took a hell of a lot of wickets. And he talked about the flipper, which was discovered by Clary Grimmett, which is basically flicking it out the front of the, the fingers. And Clary used to be called the fox, of course, when because he had a distinct flick of the fingers when he bowled it and they get, got onto it. So what he'd do is when he'd bowl a leg spinner, he'd, he'd click his left left hand as he's coming through and they'd think it was a flipper. So, ah. so he's deceiving in another way. But we sort of got onto this flipper and started mucking around with it and Batsman just had no idea what it was. Like, you know, they, yeah. they didn't understand what we were trying to do. And then and then that got into the Zuda where we turned the wrist sort of all the way around to throw it out the front of the hand, which is the same, spin it backwards. Yeah. And then we went to Zimbabwe and uh, I still remember this guy, Ian Butchart. We took a turns on getting him out with a flipper and we, we ended up renaming it the Butchie Ball. So. <laughs> <laughs> Warney had a, a distinctive grip where normally your fingers are, have got a spread between your index and Second finger. Warney's fingers were almost together, which was unbelievable, really, to be able to spin a ball like that with a grip like that. But that's why his wrong one was pretty poor. But his flipper was so strong because you had to actually bring those fingers together. So his was always together. So Yeah. So your your kind of chief weapon, other than the leg spinner, was was the wrong one, was it? Whereas his became the flipper, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, look, I, I had a decent wrong one, but it was certainly pickable. I did bowl it a lot, but uh, Warney didn't bowl his wrong one very much at all. It wasn't much of a wrong one. It was more of a top spinner, but his flipper was um, amazing. But the revs on the leg spinner, I remember at the academy standing with Terry Jenner and, you know, we're just spinning at the ball to ourselves and TJ gives me a nudge and says have a look at that and he's it's like he's his revs are going twice as fast as ours you know so yeah that's what i was going to ask is it really noticeable at that time that he's more accomplished at the leg spin than the other guys around him yeah i I think when you looked at his wrist and his his forearm i often when i'm coaching i just i said bring up a video of shane warne he's just got the perfect technique to model yourself on because it's just it's just got that perfect i suppose the biomechanics Mm. a bowling leg spin and where his release was with the arm and the wrist it all came together and sort of coming out with your right hip as well yeah he just put all the sort of body forces in behind just not the wrist and that's what gave him so much uh 
velocity on the ball. Sure. When he bowled. Yeah. Okay. So you learned a lot from each other. And then you've already mentioned Terry Jenner. Did he kind of turn you into, if there's such a thing, the complete leg spinner? Yeah. I'll tell you what TJ was good at. He was good at very quickly identifying the flaws you had. And Warney had them at two. One we had was, you know, our front foot often went across our body, pointing to a fine leg and then coming back to your batsman, which is a target. And I, I fought that most of my career. That's why I say Warney's technique was almost perfect. But he slipped into that as well. What TJ was good was being really, really honest with you. You know, if, if he thought you weren't bowling to your best abilities, he let you know. And uh, he very quickly let you know. And he very supportive, but he'd be straight on and just say, no, nah, that, that's crap. You know, you've slipped into this again. I've told you about this. And, and very much uh, about thinking a batsman out as well. If you bowl a bad short ball, set it up, basically. Bowl another one and they get them on the cut shot. And then you slip a flipper in, say, and they go back on the back foot and bang, it's all over sort of thing. You're very much thinking about setting up batsmen uh, to get them out. That's like two or three overs out. And that's where I say, you know, Look, I think I was better at that late in my later years, especially when being captain by Darren Lehman. Yeah, I I relied on a, a, a captain. Whereas Warney was probably a captain in himself. He knew exactly what he was doing. The captain sort of let him go. So Yeah. And you said you lived with Terry Jenner as well, and he was very honest with you. What was it like? You know, you come down for breakfast, and he's already telling you about all the wrong balls you bowled the previous day. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, um, when I got there, Terry had just come out of spending some time in prison, actually. So Really? Yeah, yeah. Some it was an embezzlement case, and got himself into a bit of trouble gambling, and um, was working for a car yard, so he was uh, slipping some deposits in the pocket, and unfortunately, and I think he spent uh, fourteen months and uh, came out. So it was a tough period for him, just sort of coming out. But I think it was really Rod Marsh that was trying to get him back into society and get him going again. And I think having Warney and myself in Adelaide and myself living with TJ as well, it took his mind off things, I think. And he basically was a coach at the academy and I was probably training most of the time living in this small unit with TJ. Look, it was a good relationship. We talk cricket. We just constantly talk cricket. And it was his love and his, his love was Lexpin and he was a fantastic coach. Let's come on to this Ashes summer then. So 94-95, before you, you play your first game for South Australia that season, are you thinking England are in town? If I play well, I've got a chance to get in this test side. Look, I'd come off, I, I know I'd come off a pretty good season beforehand and I'd been gaining momentum for South Australia and the odd uh, article was coming up that you know England are coming, you know, we're going to need leg spinners against England and... I was aware that my name was probably being thrown around and I was becoming more comfortable in the first-class space. I always had a good record against touring teams as well, you know, whether you know, it was Sri Lanka that came out or England A, Pakistan. Yeah, I've seen to have been able to take a bag against touring teams and uh, that probably goes back to that whole not seeing a lot of leg spin in the international arena, right? Whereas there was a fair bit of it in the, in the domestic scene. So, And the shield pitches were very difficult to bowl on. Adelaide Oval was great for spin. Sydney Cricket Ground, even better. But once you got to the Perth, the Gabbers, even Melbourne with the drop-in pitches that came in, it was a difficult thing in domestic cricket. And I, I think I probably had a better record in domestic cricket than, than Wardy did. He probably didn't play a lot of it. I think that was the factor. But then a touring team had come and I seemed to be able to do really well against them. And I think that's probably got the selectors interest going when I every time they played against a touring team, whether it was here or in the UK against 
second 11 team there. I remember taking a, a five for Edgebest and could have, would have loved to play county cricket. Not to, could have gone well there. Yeah. So when did you play in England? What, what year was that and who was that for? Yeah, I went for on a Young Australia tour. Was it the TCCB back then? Yeah. It was yeah. basically a second second 11 English side. The Young Australia tour was 94, 90 potentially. Yep. But uh, did well in that as well. So finished with, uh, I think, 20-odd wickets there. Nice. In terms of just looking at the stats, it looks like the two games that got you test selection were one against the Touring side against England that season yep. when he took six wickets. And then the last Shield game before the test match in which you were selected against Victoria where you took nine wickets. So yep. do you think those were the two games that really propelled you into that team? Oh, I think they were looking for some consistency from me. As I said, I, I was because you, we moved around grounds, um, I often, I'd take a Pfeiffer and then I'd be not playing the next game. I'd be 12th man. Go to Hobart where it's just a cemetery for spinners down at Hobart. And, yeah. you know, you, and then all of a sudden you're sitting on your, your ass again, your 12th man, and then come back to Adelaide and you take some wickets and you're off to Melbourne and, oh, no, we're going to go with a quick in Melbourne. So it was difficult to get consistency in it. Having two or three games together like that, I think, certainly helped me with the selection with my great mate, Greg Blewett. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So how did you find out you'd been selected? Do you remember if there was a phone call or you found out on the radio? Definitely a phone call. I think it was uh, Trevor Hones that called me. We'd also had a a dinner, I think, after that win in that Shield game because the the test match wasn't long afterwards, I don't think, after that Shield game. And I think Jeff Hammond might have uh, given us both a, a word that we were we were pretty close as well and then got the phone call, I think. And and then it was sort of, remember, he had a car accident. No way. The day before, rushing around, trying to get everything finalised. So I ran into the back back of somebody and not a, not a bad one, but uh, just all the stresses of getting ready for it and had a bloody car accident. Yeah, didn't God, I? nightmare. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, how, how'd you feel? And uh, I guess, what have you got to do then in terms of all those preparations? What are you running around trying to do? Are you trying to get tickets for your friends and family and things like that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that. yeah, that's part of it. But your mind's sort of racing because you're, you're about to play. It, it's, it's everything you've played cricket for, right? So what I'm really wrapped about is that uh, I didn't replace Warney. I played with him because we'd been competing for the same spot for so many years. And the theory was that if we played two leg spinners, that we're a chance to beat England and uh, of course it backfired, didn't it? Cause they beat us. So, but that, that was just great. There was a lot of press around that Australia was going with two leg spinners, which uh, was very unusual. Hadn't happened for a very long time. No, that's, that's what I found fascinating. And did you ever play in the same Victoria side with Warney? I, you know what? I don't think I did. I don't think I did. We replaced each other for a little while, not for long. And I think once I took off to South Australia, there was talk that Warney may go to Sydney, and I think Alan Border very quickly got him into the Australian team. Took him to Sri Lanka, I think it was, or it started in Sydney and then took him to Sri Lanka. And I don't think he played a lot of early games with Victoria before he played for Australia. So, yeah, that's probably the first time we played together. That is so crazy. Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, it is. And what does he say when you walk into the dressing room? He's like, oh, what the, what the F are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no, I mean, uh, yeah, we'd had a, a long association. We'd been on tours together, as I said. Yeah, you must have been thrilled to see you, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it was, uh, yeah, he probably thought, you know, what do we need another leg spinner for? I'm the greatest. You know, what do we need another one for? But, yeah, it turned out to be a tough match for 
both of us, I suppose. Um, although I think I took some, took some amount of wickets as him. Yeah, both got a couple. Yeah, yeah I remember Mike Gadding and Mike Atherton were ones that held us up. So, but Mike Gadding was my first wicket. So. Yeah, well, I think back to the ball of century. He doesn't like leg spinners, does he? Didn't like Warney, didn't like you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but so he peeled off 117 before uh, I got him. So, yeah. yeah. But what was that like? Take your first test wicket. I mean, is it a really special moment? Oh, just absolutely. I mean, many get into a test team and don't take a wicket, right? So it's just that whole, you're eight years old and you pick up a, a cricket ball and playing in the backyard with your brothers and you go through the different teams and you move states and the sacrifices you make, the amount of training you put in and you get to travel, travel the world with it. But it's just the culmination of everything that you're trying to do to wear that baggy green. That baggy green means a lot to people and so it should. So it should. There's only 450 uh, had the, has the baggy green over 130 years or something. So puts it into perspective, doesn't it? Yeah, no, massively, yeah. How did you feel? Like, I mean, aside from, you know, taking some decent wickets and some good players like Gatting, how did you feel you bowled? Did you, did you perform as you wanted to? Yeah, look, uh, oh, you can always do better. England batted first, so always tough to bowl spin on a first day Adelaide Oval wicket. Normally Adelaide Oval, they used to call me fourth day Mac. You wait till the fourth day when everything's worn out and away you go, you go to work. So You've got to be careful. You only get paid quarter of your wages if you start talking about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, it was a pretty full-on experience, especially um, having to bat with Bluey to get his first test hundred. Yeah, how was that? I saw that. Yeah, well, it was a bit bit stressful, and I had a bit of trouble with Devi Malcolm. Right, he, <laughs> he sorted me out pretty quickly, and I knew because I was batting eleven, and Craig McDermott was ten, and he'd taken off to hospital actually with some bowel problems, and I sort of come out. I think Bluey was ninety two. He realised too, and he'd started to get on with it. And I just said to him, "Mate, I've, I've faced a couple here. You need to get on with it because I'm not I'm not around here for very long." And he did, and it ended up Billy came back from the hospital and batted anyway, but he got his hundred, got his hundred, and it was uh, pretty touch and go for a while there. So yeah, yeah, oh, that's awesome that you 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 were there and you uh, you just about helped him over the line. Yeah, what was Devon Malcolm like to face? I've seen the wicket on YouTube. He he looked pretty rapid. Oh, you know, I, I just had trouble. Not, and I'm number eleven bat, right? I can hang around, but I've got I've got nothing else than that, and uh, I just had trouble picking it up out of the hand. It was, and he he comes from so wide of the crease as well, and uh, yeah, <laughs> he had some serious pace, right? But Bluey didn't have, seem to have any problem. He's just on the back foot and full shots as usual. So yeah, but I yeah I was uh, I was in all sorts. So yeah, I think I only lasted about six balls or so. What about the dressing room? We talked about Warney. What about the other players? Obviously, you knew Greg really well. Was it a welcoming atmosphere? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, you you play with a lot of the guys and against the guys in those days, so. Yeah, most of the New South Wales guys, you know, Slats and, and Tubby, the War Brothers. I knew them all pretty well. Yeah. There's no pranks played on the new boy or anything like that? Uh, no, I remember I room with Booney, even though I was a local. Yeah, he enjoyed a glass of red and sort of in the middle of the night, he didn't sleep a lot. So, yeah, yeah he always have a, you know, sit up and have a chat. In those days, you could, yeah, sit around and have a drink. and Bit of late night cricket chat, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, but then that was sort of that one test and had to wait until my next one. Yeah, it was a bit of a wait. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to ask you. Obviously, the next test was at Perth. Joe Angel, actually, who's also part of the series, he actually replaced you in that game. Yeah. 
Did you always think, look, there's, there's, there's no chance in Perth just because of the makeup of the side? Uh, pretty much, yeah. We all know what the Perth wicket played like in those days. And if you weren't going in with three or four quicks in Perth, you're mad. It was a distinct advantage for Australia to have that bounce and pace bowlers always did well there. Although Warney had a pretty good record at at Perth. And this is where this is where it's interesting with him. You look at his record in Perth and Brisbane, and then you look at Sydney, Adelaide, even where spinners have always done well. The records aren't not great. It's not great. So, and it just shows how different he was as a an attacking leg spinner, I guess. So, was it the extra bounce? Was it was it, was that what kind of helped him? Oh, it's, 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 it was the extra everything. It was the, the, the drift, you know. Because of the amount of revs on the ball, the drift was his major weapon. Well, you saw that in the ball of the century, right? He's thrown it down and sort of middle and off, and it's pitched outside leg. And, you know, and you could see the drift in the ball. So you need to have a look at the other ball of this century when B. McIntyre got uh, S. Tendulkar out in New Delhi, right? Listen, <laughs> I've, I've watched it. I've watched it, and we'll come to that. You know, it might even be better. Absolutely. <laughs> Just quickly before we get to that, because, yeah, I'd love to get your thoughts on, on that game in India. So we talked about Perth being the next test match. The next tour was to the West Indies. Yeah. Were you a bit disappointed not to be on that one? Yeah, I was, actually. I was, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would have loved to have been uh, on that one. Well, yeah, and instead of doing that, you actually managed to win the Sheffield Shield, didn't you? And funny enough, because we were just talking about your batting, you were saying, well, I couldn't do much against Devon Malcolm. It was your batting that won the day in that shield, wasn't it? Well, yeah, I set it up on the first couple of days with none for 160 or something. So I made sure it went for five days and Maisie wasn't much better. And we ran into a guy called Adam Gilchrist who had arrived. He was putting us both into the stand. Yeah, amazing match. The makeup of the two sides for starters, they had a serious amount of a similar number of people that had played test match and international cricket on both sides, batters and bowlers. We had to basically bat out to save the game because we weren't going to make the runs. I'm pretty sure we needed 300-odd in the second innings or or high 200s. And we sort of lost wickets slowly through the day. The tension had built and, yeah, we got to tea time. A big crowd came down, so that made it made it even more stressful. You know, I remember Buffer wrapping himself up in bandages like a mummy to try and take some yeah. Some tension out of the room. Guys were taking off to look at Blue was building his house. Guys were going for a walk. We got down to the last hour, basically. Shane, George and I had to bat out to draw it. And we, we did it. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, it was 40 minutes to think. You faced 45 balls. He faced 30. So that's a serious amount of time, isn't it? Yeah. And, uh, you know, Brad Hogg, Brendan Julian, Joe Angel, they had a bloody good bowling attack as well. So... And, you know, we'd been building for a few years. We'd lost the Shield final the year before. We had to get this one. We had to get that one. And it's probably I'm more remembered for that around this town than I am for playing Test cricket, I think. Yeah. I run into so many people, you know, when I think about it, it's 26 years ago, right? So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was there when you were batting at the end of that Shield match, you know, and I'm just, you're another one. You must have been one of that, those 15,000 that came down from the city. Brilliant. So big celebrations after that one? Oh, yeah. It went on, uh, we finished on the Wednesday night. I don't think I got much sleep for the next two nights. And I had to front up for Tidri Gully in the, the A-grade final because mm. they were a reasonably new club and I they'd never won one. So I remember the Friday, took off to a place called Magic Mountain. It was, a, it was like a, a water slide on my own, trying to sober up and just 
gather my thoughts. And uh, <laughs> and I think Tim May had the planet, the, the nightclub, the planet at the time and ended up back there on the Friday night with some of the, the lads. And anyway, we got into the game and we're playing Adelaide and Jason Gillespie and Ben Johnson and Paul Noves had played in the, in the Shield final. Anyway, we ended up making, I think, 175 and... Anyway, off I go. I'm back at the planet on the Saturday night. I still remember, I reckon it was 6 a.m. And we're walking out of the plane at 6 a.m. And Maisie turns to me and says, look at this rain. You're not playing today. Let's open up the bar again. So we went back in and we got to about 8.30, I think it was. And then I said to him, I said, Maisie, you know what Adelaide's Oval was like? They've got the, all the covers there. And, you know, normally they can get a ground up pretty quickly. If this rain stops, which it has, at 8.30, I reckon I'd better go. So I sort of I head home and I grab my gear a little bit late to the warm-up. We got to tea time and Adelaide was six down for 171. I think I'd bowled something like 28 overs or something. I had three, I think it was, three for three for 33 or something like that. Anyway, I said to the skipper, let's just stay out here, get this done, get it over and done with. We're finished and they've got champagne coming in the room and and they've got, you know, T-shirts made. So we went back. We actually went off and we came back out and they didn't score for 20 minutes. And Dizzy was batting right. at the other end. Anyway, a guy left arm and Derek Woodcock takes a wicket. Then I go bang, bang, and they're nine down for 174, right? Anyway, I bowl this big loopy wrong and then the number 11 charges at me and we bowl him and we've won by a run and I've taken six for 35 <laughs> or something of 34 overs and I've won another one. So it was... It was just an amazing week. Brilliant. Yeah. Well, you didn't even know which planet you were on. No, no. And it's, uh, <laughs> I don't think I paid for anything for a, and go to a restaurant. I didn't pay for anything for a month. But yeah, yeah. It was a big, big, big uh, month. Lots of memories. Yeah. All thanks to Magic Mountain. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> up and down. Yep. <laughs> Sober up. What is it? Just some massive water park with slides and everything. That kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Brilliant. Yep. Yeah, I just thought, right, I'm taking off on my own. I'm going to go down on my own and just gather my thoughts because it had been, it'd been a heavy couple of days and I, I realised that I did have that A-grade final coming up. So I thought, Tidri Gully had been good enough to get me across here in Adelaide, so I'd better try and at least turn up half decent. And uh, unfortunately, Maisie got me on the Saturday night. So. Yeah, look, who needs an ice bath when you can have a magic mountain, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly right. <laughs> Yeah, I've only had one ice bath in my time, Graham, and that, that's my last one. Yeah, never again. You probably need one more for your fingers than your legs, where your legs spinner, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, let's just get to India. Let's get to your other tests. Yep. As you say, disappointed not to get on that West Indies tour. And then there was a bit of a gap between test matches for Australia then, but you were selected on that tour to India. So how is that? Obviously, you, you want to play once for Australia, but then I guess to get picked on a tour inside is something else again. Yeah, I was just so glad I went on that one. Really wanted to see India and experience India. And Warney was injured. He, I think he'd done the tendon in his in his hand. So Brad Hogg and I went on that one. It was only a one-test series. It was a one-off because it was a a seven, I think seven one-dayers were tagged onto it. Or I think a test was even tagged onto this one-day series. Yeah, I got got to spend some great time with Bishop Beatty there. Wow. Talking to him about, especially about flight and how he used flight as a weapon. Mm. Yeah, it was an amazing place. And you know, we yeah. get it, got around with on trains up to Patiala. Mm. In the test match, Sachin's first game as captain. and uh, No problem. I was lucky. 
lucky enough to get him. For, um, I think it was 10. 10 scored by uh, Junior War in the first slip. And that was the other ball of the century, I reckon. We'll line them up against each other. Uh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I had to watch it before speaking to you. So, yeah, it's... Uh... It's a ripping turner, isn't it? It certainly is. Doesn't quite pitch in the same place as Warnie's ball in the century. No. no. <laughs> but yeah. It was just interesting how he just sort of, just he didn't know what to do with it. He sort of, do I cut it or do I push it? And yeah, kind of flicked it. Well, yeah, rather than me talking, actually, just for the record, do you want to just take us through that delivery from start to finish? Go on. <laughs> yeah, look, it, uh, there was a fair, fair amount of drift on it, actually. And it did, you're right, it did spin big. And that's why I call it the other ball of the century. But it was probably a little bit shorter. And uh, it looked like he didn't know whether to go on the front or, or back foot and then whether to cut it. And then he ends up sort of just pushing it and he's put it straight into Junior's hand. So I was... I was Bit upset with heels that game because he missed Ganguly in a stumping. Actually, clipped Ganguly's front thigh. I think that's what sort of put heels off. But I reckon I could have got a fifer in that game. I finished with three for three for in the first innings. I think I'm sure I if I'd got Ganguly, uh, they'd give me four and I would have could have finished it off. I reckon and picked up a bag a bag in the Indian match. So definitely wasn't to be again. No. And to go back to what you were saying earlier about Australian pitches during the Sheffield Shield not conducive to leg spinners, was it kind of welcome to, to get to India and start to bowl on some turning wickets? Yeah, look, I think absolutely. Absolutely, because it's renowned for it, right? So I actually found the UK was one of the best places to bowl leg spin in some of those dry wickets in the UK. But yeah, I mean, in India, you know it spins, but they have also very good players to spin, aren't they? So yeah. <laughs> you're up against that. but. Yeah, it's a, it's a really difficult one in Australia for spinners here now with, I think Sydney's the only one that's not dropping mm. now. So they're just perfect pitches. Mm. They they just don't wear. You rely on the football in the winter to tear them up. And so, yeah. you know, the, the depth of the roots on the grass, they don't recover and they break up a lot easier. These dropping wickets are very difficult to bowl spin on. So yeah, it makes it really tough for a guy like Swepson. Even Nathan Lyon bowling in Australia. It's, it's really difficult when these drop-in pitches are now manufactured out the back of the oval and there's no wear on them. They just mow them and roll them out the back and they bring them out in pristine condition having no wear and tear. So Yeah, it's not going to work, is it? Yeah. Yeah, back to that test. I mean, you, you again, you, as you said, you took three wickets, you performed really well, you got the Indian captain, Tendulkar. So you must have been pretty thrilled about your performance. You couldn't have thought that was going to be your last test for Australia at that point, did you? No, no, not at all. I, I mean, I knew Warney was getting some injuries at the time and having injuries at the time. I suppose Dewey McGill came on the scene after that as well. I did have troubles with my shoulder. I had 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 a rotator cuff mended. And then I did blow a bicep as well after that in a shield game. Got sort of a bicep that's half missing now, but I did a long heads and then they screwed that back on and then sort of tore half the belly of the bicep. But my shoulder probably at that point had had enough. And then Stewie McGill came on the scene and his record's pretty good. He finished up being, having a pretty good career with a couple of test wickets. So Yeah. Just give us one line on Stuart McGill then, because we spoke earlier about the slight differences between you and Warns. His wrong and maybe not so good, but yep. you know, mastered the flipper. Yep. Whereas you kind of more relied on the wrong end for your different delivery, as it were. What would you, what would you say about McGill? Yeah, look, a big turner as well in the conditions. All three of us could certainly turn the ball square and position the wrist to do that. He had a very, I suppose, a little bit more round arm with a wrist that was always square. So he did turn the ball a long way 
And he had a reasonable wrong as well. He used flight pretty well. You've got to be able to spin the ball, Graham. It's the big factor for a leg spinner. You can't just roll these things out. There's a lot of effort put in. I remember TJ used to always say, we do as much as at the crease as a fast bowler. Yeah. You know, with our shoulder and our hit them, all the right side. We may not run up to this crease, but the effort to actually bowl leg spin at the crease and bowl it well and with lots of revs on it takes a, a lot of inertia and a lot of energy. Definitely. Yeah. And that's what all three of us did, I think. We learned to put as much energy and a rev into the ball and you've got to be able to spin it big. And that was always, don't turn up if you're not going to spin it big, you know, spin it as hard as you can and as far as you can. Yeah, yeah. And from a personal point of view, did you get to know Stuart Miguel at all? Part of that spinners club that you want to have a chat with him and talk about bowling? Yeah, he's a different cat. It was a bit different to to the (laughs) usual. All, all the leg spinners are a bit mad, to be honest. But you know, I went to the academy with him. He kept himself to a little bit. So Is he? Yeah. Yeah. Didn't get to know him that well. Not as well as warning. No, obviously not. Yep. Do you just want to kind of summarize what happened after India? And Obviously, you had the injuries. Yeah. Was, was there ever a time when you felt close to recall? No, I think, uh, I think once Stewie McGill had started to do well, I knew there was probably going to be a shootout between him and Warney. So I was probably number three. Yeah, sort of my last two years of short cricket, I actually took off to the Netherlands in the winter and coached Rotterdam for two seasons. So. Yeah, how was that? Oh, terrific. Really good. It was uh, just different. You talk about cricketers never seeing leg spin, they'd never seen a leg spin. So, no. <laughs> you know, I was the Wizard of Oz uh, coming across the, the Netherlands and playing on those Koya mats. There was only one turf we get back then at, at the Amsterdam Club. Ah, that was good fun, coaching all the kids. I mean, it's an amateur sport there, let's face it. You know, there's only 5,000 cricketers, so... If we see a Dutch leg spinner emerging in the next few years, we know who it's... Uh... Oh, maybe. All down to you, yeah. Maybe. <laughs> maybe I've had an influence, but uh, I do remember getting a phone call from Dad Watmore. I think it was my second year, or it could have been the first one, and I think um, Alan Donald had done his ankle, and he said, would you be interested in coming playing for Warwickshire? I said, oh, mate, I've been craving to play county cricket for a long, long time after going on that young Australia trip. Anyway, he said, look, we're looking at someone else, but you know, if it doesn't work out, we'd love to talk to you. And uh, anyway, they ended up going with Murali. So <laughs> I missed the opportunity with Warwickshire. So I would have loved to play county cricket. I, I just think I could have done well on those wickets. So. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Oh, that's a real shame you didn't get play. And you, you didn't come home and play any of the league setup either. There wasn't that opportunity, like the, the league underneath county cricket. No, I, th- I played at Uxbridge and I came over earlier. And I think that's in the Middlesex County. Yeah, yeah. E- ended up staying just outside the Great Park in Windsor. Oh, yeah, yeah. And struck up struck up a relationship with the uh, head security there at Windsor, Stan Highmore, who was the captain of the, the Windsor Cricket Club. So I ended up um, playing games with them as well. So when was that? That was in, I reckon, 89, 90, when I went on a Crusaders tour. Okay. They call it Crusaders and we're playing sort of different teams throughout the UK and we played against that Windsor Queer Club in the grounds there. Anyway, Stan said, why don't you, if you're living nearby, come and play some odd matches and yeah, I still remember Lizzie coming down at tea time one time. She said, what's an Australian doing in my cricket team? <laughs> <laughs> no way. When did that happen? Yeah, that was uh, one, one of the games. One of the games we, I was playing for. She came down. Yeah, she sometimes she'd wander down to have a look at the cricket. No way. She'd come in at tea time sometimes. But those were her very words. What's an Aussie doing in my team? Yeah, what's an Aussie doing in my cricket team? <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. I remember running along the, the long walk and met with Maddie Elliott and she 
breezes past in a rolls or jag or whatever she was driving with a page boy next to it yeah just flew past us while we we're running so she loved that park right so what a place that windsor windsor is and uh, oh it's stunning yeah yeah met her twice so the other one was uh at crusaders game and we actually took nugget I don't know if you've heard of Nugget Rees here, but um, he's like the team mascot. Uh, Barry Rees, his name is. Um, Nugget, we call him Nugget. Uh, he's been around the team for since um, way back, way back when Barry Jarman and Ian Chappell first started captaining South Australia. What's his official role? Oh, he's just a character, right? Just a character that um, nothing's bad in his world. You know, and it's just a wonderful person to have around the team. I still remember Nugget shaking a hand and... Uh, because when Nugget shakes your hand, you know it's it's been shaken, right? He shakes the hell out of it. But I remember I was standing next to him, and he and we said we'd coached him. We said, "Nug, when you shake the Majesty's hand, <laughs> you've got to just do it really slowly and softly, right?" And he understood, and he, you know took it on. Anyway, he, we get to the point. He grabs a hand really softly. He's doing really well. He's not shaking it. The only problem we didn't tell him was you've got to let go, Nug, eventually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he kept holding onto a hand, right? And yeah. uh, I'm, I'm, pushed, I'm nudging him. I said, Nug, let go. And then he just blurts out, pleased to meet you, Mesty. How are the corgis? Like, and then just, <laughs> you know, big smile. I think she realized, you know, yeah, um, yeah. this guy was sort of, yeah, who he is. Yeah, yeah. Um, a bit different, should we yeah. say? Yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Long, Lots of memories, man. Yeah. Brilliant memories. How do you look back and what did it mean to you to play in the Ashes? Oh, look, I, I think it's a bonus. It, it was the Ashes that I debuted in, that rivalry that goes back so many, many decades. And it's always the most talked about series, let's face it, on either side. Just to get the baggy green, but to do it in an Ashes test is probably that icing on the top. Yeah, I, I, no regrets. I got to the pinnacle. I didn't play as many as I would have liked, but Dennis Lilly always says to me that probably could have played 50-plus tests if that blonde fellow wasn't around. So maybe that's that's where it sits. Maybe that is where it sits. What is not in doubt is that we have been royally entertained by Peter McIntyre with his tales of Magic Mountain, the real ball of the century, and the late Queen Elizabeth popping in for tea at Windsor Park. And of course, that much-missed blonde fella. As Peter said, the twin leg spin attack in Adelaide couldn't prevent England from winning that fourth test by 106 runs. Chris Lewis and Devon Malcolm both taking four wickets as Australia were bowled out for 156, chasing 263 to win. Peter mentioned the Young Australia Tour of 1995 and that match at Edgebaston against the TCCB 11, captained by Hugh Morris and featuring the likes of Matthew Maynard, Adam Hollyoak, Robert Croft and Alan Mullally. The young Australia side was even more star-studded. Matthew Hayden, Justin Langer, Ricky Ponting, Adam Gilchrist. For the record, young Australia won that match by nine wickets. The pick of the bowlers? Peter McIntyre, with five for 38 in the first innings and three for 17 in the second. It's a shame he didn't get the call from Warwickshire, as he clearly took a liking to that edge-baston wicket. What's more, the young Australia bowling attack in that match featured no less than three of our one Ashes Test wonders, Peter himself, Sean Young and Joe Angel. Joe Angel played his one Ashes Test in the game after Peter at his home ground in Perth. Find out about his moment in the Ashes Sun and how he enjoyed some downtime in Pakistan with an AK-47 on the next episode. Until then, I've been Graham Barrett and this has been Once Upon a Time in the Ashes. <laughs>